Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It's Monday, June 6th. From inside the WTOP newsroom, this is the DMV download, presented by Steamfitters Local 602. Learn how Steamfitters can benefit your business at steamfitters-602.org. Here are the stories we're working on today. A year after D.C.'s crime lab lost accreditation and the ability to process any crime scene evidence, a city lawmaker is taking action to overhaul the lab. Megan has been following this story for years and talked to Councilmember Charles Allen about how we got to this point. The failures of DFS over the last several years have now called into question previous convictions. And there's a rate hike placed inside D.C.'s 2023 budget that only affects drivers of specific cars. It's meant to de-incentivize owning heavy cars in the city that wear down roads. WTOP's Melissa Howell tells us why the city wants to move on this. What's happening on the roads? More vehicles, more maintenance, and as a result, unfortunately for residents, the fees are going up. Thanks for joining us. I'm Megan Cloherty. And I'm Luke Garrett. A D.C. lawmaker says there'll soon likely be movement in a criminal investigation into the managers of D.C.'s crime lab. The lab lost its right to process crime scene evidence over a year ago, and the ripple effects this investigation is having through D.C.'s justice system is enormous. So we've been following this story for years, myself and our colleague Jack Moore. And it really comes down to this. We'll soon learn whether the managers of the Department of Forensic Sciences are criminally responsible for mistakes made in the lab that could have resulted in people being wrongfully convicted, wrongfully acquitted, or even never charged for crimes in the city. And because Megan has been covering this for years, we're going to ask her a few questions about this massive investigation that she's been following for the better part of two years. So, Megan, for those who are hearing about this story for the very first time, what is this investigation about? What sparked it? Back in November 2020-ish, October-ish, I was training an intern here at WTOP about how to look up uh, court cases in the D.C. court ledger. And so I'm looking up a random case. And at the bottom of the case, there's a note in there. I opened it up and it said that the U.S. Attorney's Office for D.C. is taking the D.C. crime lab to court. Wow. And I'm like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Right. Yeah. So I start digging into that. And obviously that's not where the case started, but it's where it started for us because no one really knew that this was happening behind the scenes. It hadn't been reported yet um, to the public. So all the players did, the mm. crime lab and the, and the um, U.S. Attorney's Office, but we didn't know about this until about the fall of 2020. We started looking into it, and essentially it's this. In 2015, there were two shootings. A DFS analyst looked at the ballistics of those shootings, the, you know, basically the, the pieces of the right. bullet fragment from the scene, and says, looks at them both under a microscope and says, These two bullets could very well have been fired from the same gun. And that evidence led to a man named Rondell McLeod being charged with double murder. Whoa. It turns out the U.S. Attorney's Office then has that those bullet fragments looked at by another analyst and another analyst. And they both say, "Mm, I don't know that I'd say that. Right. And so it called into question this one analyst's work. This opens this like Pandora's box of how did this happen? Do you all check your work? What's the training that goes into this? Like if this has happened once, 
could this happen again? Right. And the stakes are so high here. I mean, we're talking yeah. about life sentences and tons of jail time. Right. So it turns out in, in the McLeod case that, um, you know, he wasn't charged with the second uh, homicide. And, mm. and that case is still ongoing. But it really opened up this look into, OK, what's going on at DFS and what needs to change? Um, and every defense attorney, of course, in the in D.C. is saying, uh like, how long has the person who messed up the evidence been handling evidence in D.C.? Right. Does that apply to my past cases? Right. So the mayor eventually says, let's open up a review into DFS, look at how they're running things, look at, you know, what the training practices are. Mm. And that led to an audit that um, basically exposed all of these issues inside the city crime lab. More of them. More. Oh, many more. We're talking in, like 10s, in multiple labs because there's five labs, one mm. that handles ballistics, one that handles, you know, DNA, one that handles um, chem- like chemistry and forensics. Anyway, there's a bunch of them. And there were there were issues in almost all of them. Fingerprints. Um, wow. I know it, this whole thing is goes on and on and on. So the U.S. attorney's office was saying, hey, we want the documents kind of be more transparent with us. Right. About how you run the lab. And the city's lab was like, no, we're an independent lab. We don't have to answer to you, U.S. attorney's office. And so they ended up taking them to court over it. This whole thing has resulted in D.C. taxpayers are paying for separate labs to process DNA evidence, ballistics evidence, digital evidence, Mm. because D.C.'s crime lab lost its accreditation after all this came to light. Wow. And we've been reporting on this every step of the way. We've heard from multiple employees who left who were saying this is a toxic workplace. I felt like I couldn't come forward and say there's a discrepancy here. Or this doesn't look right because wow. I'd lose my job. A culture issue. Exactly. So this the big thing with this announcement from um, this lawmaker, Charles Allen, is saying, um, hey, we think the investigation into these managers, this criminal investigation, could be coming to a head soon. Right. Yeah. And that, so that brings us to this past week when Councilmember Charles Allen brought up this you know, bill that says, well, overhaul, maybe fix DFS. Yeah. He, he wants to restructure the whole thing. And, and people ask, you know, why did it take this long? Because DFS lost accreditation and therefore the ability to process evidence last spring. So more than a year ago, it's just Mm. been sitting on its thumbs. Wow. Um, And Charles Allen says, well, listen, it takes a while to get all our ducks in a row here. We have to hear from the the mayor for public safety. We have to hear from employees. We have to go through an oversight hearing and, and like really break down what's the issue here. And I wouldn't be introducing legislation if I felt like it was all on cruise control and doing fine by itself. We have to keep pushing. We have to keep demanding that DFS get to where it's got to go. And so essentially he's saying a couple things. Uh, first of all, he wants the lab to be completely independent because right now it is under the executive branch. It is under the mayor's office. The second thing is, is he says that there's an oversight board that's inside the lab. A lot of us have that at our um, our workplaces, whether it's your HR person right, right, or right. whether you're at a scientific, you know, public health kind of organization to just double check that. Things are running the way they should be running. And the SAB, the Scientific Advisory Board that's inside of DFS, had some issues with it as far as, you know, they weren't necessarily able to get information unless the director gave them that information. Mm. So there's a little bit of question of, you know, how unbiased could they be? And so I know there were folks who just chose not to even be a part of it because they they didn't trust that it was set up the right way. And I think this legislation gets at it. It strengthens and overhauls the SAB into what it needs to be. It would allow for them to also have a technical background and sort of oversight background, not just be scientists, but have that background of knowing when to sort of, you know, take the reins and pull back a little bit. Right. And you spoke with Charles Allen about this. You know, what did he say kind of broadly about the bill and his hopes for it? 
Well, he said there is an urgency to this. He said, you know, we really can't wait. I mean, I can't sit around and wait for them to get reaccreditation before we tackle these type of legislative reforms, though, either. Um, and I think a, while we don't have the exact timeline, we know it's still many months away. So I, I think it's actually very likely we'll pass this legislation before they get reaccredited. And there's only six months left in the legislative session. He wants to pass this, like, get its committee and pass it through um, because his concern is even before it gets reaccredited and hopefully it does, he wants everything to be ready. Right. Mm. He wants this organization to be whole, to to have changed the things that are ostensibly wrong with it. I use that in air quotes. But but after all of these different audits and reviews, what can can improve? And those things are changed and improved at the lab. Right. So that when the accrediting board comes back and says, what'd you do? What'd you change? There's a list of things that they change and they can get reaccredited. If we're talking about rebuilding trust, if we're talking about rebuilding confidence and integrity in the work by DFS, then we've got to get them in a better place. And structurally, things have to change. And so, you know, if this new bill does do a a successful overhaul of DFS, there's still a lot of cases that are in question right now because of this initial investigation, right? Yeah. And that, to me, is the biggest thing about this story is who it affects. Right. Right. And we're not going to find out for a very long time, Luke. Mm. I mean, the mayor said she wants every single case that went through DFS from when it opened in 2012 involving fingerprints and firearms to be reexamined. We're talking about thousands of cases. And prosecutors are starting that process of going through um, and seeing, you know, and really the question is, it has to be that in that case, the, the evidence from DFS was a make or break for the case. Right, the crux. Exactly, yeah. So it's not going to be every single case, mm. but it could be a lot of them. And right now we don't have any number of you know, convictions they're looking at. They're, ha- they're not even telling us how they're triaging it, right? Is it the newest cases first or the oldest cases first? Yeah. But they've got a huge job in front of them. It can't be lost that the the failures of DFS over the last several years have now called into question the previous convictions. And if we don't have confidence in the information that either is going to determine someone's conviction or innocence, then DFS has failed. I mean, it could mean that people were convicted and they're sitting in jail for a crime they didn't commit wow. based on evidence that yeah. wasn't handled correctly. Mm. Do we know about the legal responsibility for that analyst or for the lab itself? If they put someone in jail who didn't deserve to be there, you know, what's there? What happens? There's a huge question because in science, you know, you, you do your best, but it's also based on specific parameters and specific things you're supposed to look for, right, mm. as a scientist, exclude or not exclude. And I think that the inspector general's report into whether the managers knowingly covered up mistakes is your first step there. Mm. Because if they decide, yes, there are criminal charges here or no, there are not, then what's the next step, right? If there are charges, does that trickle down? Does that mean that you go then to the analyst? I mean, most of the people who were involved in these cases in 2015 and and all the way back to 2012 have left Mm. by now. A majority of the managers have left. Um, And they're all in different organizations or they've retired. Right. So maybe they're not practicing anymore. But yeah, what are the consequences for possibly extending someone's jail time or letting someone out who should be in jail? Mm. Huge question marks left to be answered. Yeah. Megan, thank you for updating on this new bill here and, you know, what's to come. No problem. And after the break, do you think cities should charge you more if you drive a bigger, heavier car? DC's on the brink of doing just that. If you want to save money and grow profits on your next commercial heating, cooling, HVAC or refrigeration project, Go with the men and women of Steamfitters Local 602. You can trust the experience of its workforce. 
members who have expertise in heating, air conditioning, refrigeration, and process piping to deliver work that's on time and on budget. For a partner you can trust who's mutually focused on your bottom line and to schedule, contact Steamfitters Local 602 at steamfitters-602.org. That's steamfitters-602.org. Steamfitters Local 602, changing lives. Thanks for listening to the DMV Download. If you like the podcast, head to our show page, give us a rating, and leave a review. We read all of them and use the suggestions to improve this show that we're so proud of. It also helps other listeners find this, our region's only local daily news podcast. Thanks for making us a part of your day. A bigger car may be better, but it's about to be a lot more expensive to own one for D.C. residents. And no, we're not talking about the record gas prices, though that will be a concern. We're talking about increased car registration fees for heavy cars in the district. This heavy car fee proposed by Ward 3 Councilmember Mary Che is one of the first of its kind in the U.S. But this fee hike is substantial. Under the current rates, an owner of a heavy-duty truck pays $775 in registration over a five-year period. But once the mayor signs this new budget, that same driver will have to pay $2,500 over five years. So there's a lot to unpack here with strong support and opposition to this idea. And joining us is WTOP's Melissa Howell. Melissa, thanks for being here on Zoom. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Just to start, why is D.C. set to make this more expensive to own a heavy-duty truck like a Ford F-250 um, or one of those like larger vehicles in D.C.? Why is Councilmember Che proposing this? In the district, there's a lot of traffic, right? The roads get a lot of wear and tear, and that's exactly the idea. Our roads are consistently used, and there's just more driving going on. So the idea is to account for that cost when it comes to what's happening on the roads, more vehicles, more maintenance, and as a result, unfortunately for residents, the fees are going up. And so is the idea behind this new heavy car registration free uptake, is it just to, you know, safeguard infrastructure or is there a global warming kind of play here? The main concern is is the roads, the wear and tear. Now, there might be more behind that, but what's at the forefront right now is how roads are being impacted. And how would your car registration fee be determined? I imagine it's not based on whether you have a Ford or a Chevy. Is it, is it weight or how are they figuring this out? Absolutely. So a class one vehicle is going to be something smaller, like maybe a four door sedan, like an Ultima, right? And then it goes up from there with a class four being something like a Ford Expedition or just something larger. So depending on where your vehicle falls in that category, um, that's where your fees are going to be. And unfortunately for, you know, electric vehicles, they tend to be heavier. That's also another concern. Yeah, I didn't think about the electric vehicles. That's interesting. Right. I mean, those lithium ion batteries at the base of most electric cars, I mean, they weigh a lot. Tesla's tipped the scale as 4,000, 5,000 pounds. And Mary Che has said that there is a provision, you know, in this new hike that subtracts 1,000 pounds from the net weight of an electric car to try to help incentivize EVs. But is this enough? What is the car industry saying about this new rate hike? And that's the thing, right? The Alliance for Automotive Innovation, they're trying to bring attention to this. Their concern is that this technology of bringing electric vehicles and making them more of a, you know, a common option for drivers out on the road, this would be a a deterrent for them. Heavier vehicles, you now have more fees. It's not really going to be much of an incentive for automakers. That's their main concern. So they're trying to see what they can do to have that specific issue addressed because, if you have a battery that's heavier. Now there's efforts to make those batteries, you know, not as heavy, but right now there's just that concern that this is really not an incentive for those automakers to really work in a way to figure out how to make them more efficient for for drivers. 
And Councilmember Che estimated these higher rates would generate something like $40 million in the first five years for D.C. I'm wondering if we know when the registration rates could hit, you know, when we'd actually be paying this and where would all that money go, did she say? Well, it's unclear exactly where the money will go at this moment. Um, And, you know, we could probably dig in a little bit more to get some more specifics. But the fees are expected to kick in once the budget is passed October 1st of 2023. So we still got a little bit of time before this actually happens. But there is a set date of when drivers can expect to see those registration fees go up. WTOP's Melissa Howe breaking down this new car registration fee, this new idea that may become a bellwether for other cities in the nation. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. And before we go, speaking of paying a lot of money in D.C. (laughs) to be a driver, (laughs) I think everyone knows if you drive in D.C., you get tickets very easily. Parking tickets, speeding tickets, whatever it is. But we have with us one of our best drivers in the city who also happens to be an intern here at WTOP. And her name is Rosie Hughes. And Rosie, tell us about your your recent um, sad, sad adventure. Yeah, so here's the story. Um, I'm heading down to Barracks Row to meet some friends for dinner. I'm in a little bit of a rush. I try to bypass the traffic on Massachusetts Avenue. As you do. Cutting through Georgetown. Good call. Come to the three-way stop at um, 37th and Whitehaven. I'm a very careful driver. I firmly believe in safe driving protects everyone, other drivers, pedestrians, everyone. I've never run a stop sign in my life. (laughs) Three weeks later, I get a ticket in the mail. And it says stop sign violation at 37th and Whitehaven. So you go online. You can. It says you can watch the video online. And you're like, are you like, surely this is wrong. This is I, crazy. I, I blamed my boyfriend. I was like, this must have been you. Like, there's <laughs> no way. There's absolutely no way I would have done this. So you can log in to watch a little video. And sure enough, rainy day in March or whatever, there's me just barely crossing the white painted line in front of the stop sign. So you didn't stop. I stopped my brake. You can see my brake lights illuminate. I came to a stop. Right. But not for long enough, I guess. Mm. Or I passed the white line. I'm not entirely sure which one it was. Wow. To me, that's some, you know, I stopped. There was no one else in the intersection. Right. Right. Yeah. We do this all the time. How much was it? A hundred dollar fine. hundred bucks. And you're not the only one, it sounds like. I'm not the only one. So, yes, I'm scrolling Twitter, you know, last week and I see this article saying that this Camera oh. at 37th and Whitehaven has racked up $1.3 million in fines oh in two gosh. years. And I'm just one of their victims. <laughs> That's a lot of fines. So $1.3 million divided by 100. I wonder why that intersection. That's so much. That's thousands and thousands of tickets. It's thousands and thousands of tickets. People get very upset about speed camera tickets. And I know, I mean, but speeding, you can kind of say, okay, that's really unsafe. But stop, the stop sign and you stopped... That's tough. That's, that's tough. a tough one to, to swallow, yeah. Yeah, I always feel like I'm on either side of the issue. You know, when I don't have a ticket, I'm like, oh, yeah, come on. <laughs> Keep cars slow. Save pedestrians. Yeah. When I get a ticket, I'm like, what the heck? Are you kidding me? Yeah, I'm the good guy. Like, I'm the one who's advocating. Uh, so I guess watch that intersection. I feel like you know where the cameras are where you live, and you know to drive slower there. But, yeah, we should probably be watching ourselves everywhere we go now. Yeah. Rosie, thanks for giving us that story. Thank you. And that'll do it for us on the DMV Download. This show is brought to you by Steamfitters Local 602. Our managing editor is Craig Schwab, and our music is by Real World. Give us a review and rate the show if you get the chance, and you can find out more about this awesome show at dmvdownload.com. <laughs> the DMV Download is a product of WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in the D.C. area, 107.7 FM in Virginia, 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland, online at wtop.com, and on the WTOP News app. Have a great night, guys. 